Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its illumination. Thank you for its truth. Now give us revelation knowledge. Straight from you, straight from your spirit, and help us to obey. Help us to surrender in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 16, verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. He's responding to Peter. And Peter has been asked a question, who do people say that I am? And he says, and, and, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to me, says, he says, this is, this is exactly right. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means on this, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock he was talking about is the revelation of who Jesus really is. I'm going to build my church. I want you to see that. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is in charge of building his church. Jesus is capable and powerful enough to build his church. And we need to trust him. And we need to believe it, that he is the head of the church and surrender to it as is appropriate. Submitting to him. We don't need to, we don't need to get out, all bent out of shape about the church. Jesus is in charge of it and he can handle any problems that it has. We don't have to become cynical and critical of everything the church does. Jesus is in charge of it. It's his bride. Don't criticize his bride. Okay? If you want if you, if you, I mean, you to uh, contribute something helpful to his bride, do that. There's nothing wrong with feedback. There's nothing wrong with dialogue. But when cynicism and skepticism gets down into our soul... It makes us unhealthy, all right? So I'm not, I'm not preaching against feedback. I think we got a long ways to go, one chapel. We're, we're a long ways from being the perfect church. So, um, so here's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Turn over a few, few pages in Matthew 28. Just a few pages over, Matthew 28, and it says this, eight, verse 18. This is a familiar passage to some of you. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is telling his disciples to go. We've, we've wrongly emphasized the word go over the phrase make disciples. Okay, what I want to challenge you on is it's maybe a better reading would be a, or an original idea that is, that is said here is Jesus is saying, on your way, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, make disciples. Okay, so I want you to draw this conclusion from these two scriptures. Jesus promised that he would build his church. He said, I will build my church, but he told us to make disciples. Sometimes we want to build the church and get Jesus to make disciples. <laughs> we want to do stuff in church, but we, do, we want Jesus to really work on people. <laughs> he did it the other way around. He said, I'll build my church, don't worry about it, but you pay attention to somebody else. You invest in someone else. You be in relationship with someone else to see spiritual growth happen. 
And so spiritual growth is something we have to create at One Chapel, and every church creates a culture of spiritual growth. And so I want to challenge you today to think about our culture of spiritual growth. What does it look like? When I dream about one what One Chapel could be, here's my dream. That we might be a place where every person, no matter what their spiritual maturity level, every person who's part of our community believes that they are both capable and that they'll be willing to make a disciple. And that they'll know how to do it. And that we'll have a obvious, obvious pathways to disciple making. Now, here, here's what I believe. I don't think the city, I don't think the people who are, don't know anything about Jesus and, and who are trying to find him and, and struggling and wrestling through the issues of their own lives, they're, they're not going to be able to really find him unless there's a church that believes that they're called, that they're directed to make disciples. Some of you think it's my job to make disciples. Look, I'm the pastor, and that's my role, and I, but I, gotta make, I, I do have to make disciples myself. That's a responsibility. But my job in the church is, as a role of pastor, is to find people what God is doing in them and say yes to what he's doing and equip them and empower them and say, come on, let's do this together. I'm in the job of releasing people into the ministries that God has given them. I'm in the business of releasing people to do what Jesus Christ has done in them and to invest that in another person. That's, that's where we're going. That's what has to happen because there's a ton of people out here that need to know Jesus. But some of you think, oh, I, I don't know enough, Pastor Russ. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know enough Bible. I Listen, can I tell you this? That in the first two years of a person who comes to Christ, they are the most passionate and powerful evangelists that we have. They can make a disciple. They'll need coaching along the way. Some of you are so, some of you are so mature in the body of Christ. <laughs> You're getting old. And you've been there, and you've done that, and you've done this, and you've, you've, been, you've been involved in people's lives, and it's, you know, it's hard, and it's difficult, and you're like, I want to just sit back and relax now. That's not God's calling on your life. Some of you are mature enough, but you, you want to be too independent. Some of you think you're too busy. Listen, what I want to challenge you in, and most of you are too busy, and you need to reprioritize. Most of us are, our lives are full, and we're just going, we're doing this, we're doing that. But Jesus said, on your way, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples. Spiritual growth is a culture we have to build. To see people grow, we have to have the right culture and environment. So here's what spiritual growth requires. I'm just going to give you a few ideas, and then we're going to break, and I'm going to send you upstairs to meet a bunch of people who are leading groups. Spiritual growth requires this kind of culture, uh, for us to cultivate a culture that believes in relationship, number one. Relationship. You have to have relationship with people in order to have transformation, because it is the very dynamics of interacting with other people that uh, our character gets built. I talked about that last week. If you want to listen to the podcast, we talked about the character building exercise uh, of, of relating to people and them being involved in your life. Because let's, let's, let's face it, some people are a real pain. Some of you are a real pain. 
You need people in your life to help you not be such a pain. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Transformation happens in the context of relationship. We don't grow in a vacuum. There's all kinds of stuff happening in our culture. And, and so here's a, an idea I want you to, to kind of settle in. And it is relationship plus intentionality equals discipleship. Hey, think about this. I, I, I was in Austin a few weeks ago, and I was at the Radio Coffee and Beer Shop. It was like, it was, it's called Radio, and it's on Manchek and and. 290 or something, and all these people are sitting around drinking coffee and drinking beer, and they're, and they're doing it on a Monday night, and I'm there till, I left at 11 that evening, and it was full of people, people just hanging out, enjoying conversation and talking and, and talking about whatever is going on, talking about the iPhone 6, <laughs> talking about whether or not they believe in the President Obama's ISIS strategy, <laughs> talking about Ray Rice. Do you guys know the Ray Rice thing? You heard about this? Ray Rice, football player, NFL's all bent out of shape. Everything's a mess because he, he gave a left hook to his wife in an elevator, caught it on camera. Here, here's my point. We kind of want to sit around and talk about Ray Rice or we want to talk about the NFL or we want to talk about this politics and the strategy of dealing with terrorism or we want to talk about the iPhone 6, which is worthy to talk about. It's fantastic. Actually, I want to talk about the Apple Watch. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. <laughs> so, but I digress. What God calls you and I to do is to use the intersection of culture and our conviction to engage with people in relationship and then make disciples. All that stuff should be talked about. But the power of the gospel is talking about it from the perspective of the scripture and who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives. You want to talk about the social fabric of our nation and how it's acceptable or unacceptable for domestic violence to occur in our neighborhoods? We're getting a picture of it right now by watching this thing unfold with the NFL. We ought to talk about that, but we ought to talk about it from the perspective of what Jesus has done in our lives and help other people see that they don't have to be given into rage and anger. It doesn't have to control their lives. Terrorists creating terror. <laughs> Who would have known? Huh? It cre it's creating in our culture a fear. I wonder, if, I wonder if we could interact with people on that basis and the intersection of our culture and what's happening and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts about what Jesus has done and what he wants to do and then use that relational fabric of talking about what's going on in our culture to then lead us to spiritual growth. Hey, the last thing I want is a bunch of people that don't know how to talk about culture and all they know how to do is talk about the Bible. You gotta translate it for people. Your life translates it for others. We got to be able to apply it to what's really happening out here in the real world. That's the culture we have to create. And that's the culture of the first century church and what they did together. Look at Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles. You can see it on your, um, on your handout. They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That means they devoted themselves to some teaching, to some scripture. The apostles' teaching was, was really about the Old Testament scriptures and illuminating who Jesus was through them. And then fellowship, they, they shared together, and then they, they broke bread in their homes. They, they shared communion, but they also just ate together, and then they prayed together. This is an important dynamic, and it has to happen in a large group, and it has to happen in a small group. Our church has got to grow larger because there's people who need Jesus, and it has to grow smaller because this is how disciples are made. Did you tra- are you tracking with me on that? Larger and smaller at the same time. And connect groups are just the way we try to do that. I, we, ha- we always have a bu- all the groups that are listed in the, in the menu, and then we have a bunch of black market groups too. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. It's not the end of the world for me. All right? I'm, not, I'm not that much of a control freak. I'm a little control freak, but I'm not that much. Because the, the, the point here is creating spiritual vibrancy within our community and within our city. And that requires you to get together with others and pray, wrestle through issues, struggle. Look, here's the components of a connect group. It's we got to be able to learn together. That's the apostles, the apostles' teaching. we got to be able to share together. That is just getting together and sharing what we have with others, sharing our lives, sharing our material possessions. we got to eat together, breaking of bread, and we got to pray together. I, there's, really only, there's really only two mandatory elements of every connect group, and that is prayer and um, food. <laughs> prayer and food. You've got to have something to drink, something to eat, and, and because there's something that opens you up when you're standing there with a paper plate and <laughs> trying to figure out how to talk in between bites. Relationship is built in such ways all over the world. Sharing a table, sharing food at a table, sharing around a fire. It's, it's worldwide. We're built for it. Number two, number two, vulnerability. In order to have spiritual growth and vitality in a church, in a community, we have to have a certain level of vulnerability. Here's, here's the difference, all right? Everybody in Austin wants relationship, and they do it around the topics of their lives, but as we've already said, relationship plus a, plus a little bit of intentionality starts create, steering them in a direction, steering them to Jesus. Vulnerability is that process where we really get to deal, instead of the surface level stuff in their lives, we really get to the root of the problems. Transparency is merely communicating information. I'm not talking about just being transparent. We got enough reality TV to give us all the transparency we need. I mean, that's terrible. What, what people think they're entitled to say or to do in the name of being transparent. What I'm talking about is vulnerability, which is inviting them into a process, inviting them on a journey, inviting them into a relationship. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If you have your pen in your hand and you're, you're taking notes, underline verse 7. Underline verse 7. 
Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Don't Don't act like you're perfect. This is one of the worst things that a church community can do is create an environment where everybody thinks everybody else is perfect and so they can't share anything. That's really bad. That leads to religion, legalism. We cannot tolerate it here. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, confess to who? Aha, good question. We quote that scripture if we've been a believer for any length of time about confessing to God, but the context of of the dialogue from John is clearly about community. It's clearly about not saying, look, if you walk in darkness, don't act, don't act like you live in the light. Don't, don't, don't lie to each other and say you, don't, you, you never have sin. You've got to make sure that you're really being honest with the people around you. He says, if we confess our sins to each other, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Hey, All ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm the pastor. I have a role. But Jesus has to work in my life just like he has to work in your life. I have to be willing to be vulnerable with people. Sometimes I'm vulnerable in this pulpit and make some of you nervous. (laughs) Jesus is working on me. And he's got to work on you too, but it happens in a community. Now, here's what I want you to see. Walking in the light means no secrets. Check this out. Walking in the lights means God can shine a light on any part of your heart. There's nothing hidden. I, here's what I believe. Everyone needs at least one person. Every person needs somebody that they can tell anything to. And they'll love them. They'll challenge them. They'll give them grace. They'll hold their feet to the fire. Everybody needs people in their life who know exactly what's going on deep down. Fellowship is created when we share vulnerability. A genuine spiritual fellowship is created when we begin to share in this kind of vulnerability. That's what this passage says. The blood of Jesus is most effective in community. Write that down. The blood of Jesus is most effective in community. It's applied best in community. Now look, here's the thing. Some of you try to deal with your own sins by yourself. And the battlefield of your mind, the way you feel about yourself, and the way the devil attacks you and accuses you, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us. Our own minds accuse us. And so we try to apply for our failures and our sins and our foolishness. We try to apply the blood of Jesus. Now, let me say this. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough. There is no sin, there is no failure, no circumstance, no mistake, no issue that the blood of Jesus cannot fix, that the blood of Jesus cannot cure, right? The blood of Jesus is powerful. There is no problems with the blood of Jesus. The problem is in application. Problem is, problem is just trying to deal with it on your own. And then we're afraid to tell somebody. We're afraid of what they'll think. They're, listen, the way that God deals with us, we need to live in a community where we illustrate that to one another. With love, with challenge, with accountability, with relationships. So confession of sin should be routine. 
It should be no big deal to confess your sin. In fact, you should keep confessing your sins and then confess your temptations. Because if you conf confess your temptations, you don't have to confess as many sins. <laughs> you, confess, you confess your temptations and then finally you're confessing your thoughts before you even sin. <laughs> and there's something that begins to happen in your life where Jesus is working and he's... He's calling you to himself. Who do we confess our sins to? I'm not going to take a long time to do this. I just always feel compelled to do this because what I don't want you to do is go to a group this week and begin to confess all your sins at the first meeting. That is not going to work for you, and it's not going to work for them. That's not going to be helpful for you. You're going to be the problem. So... So what I, well here, so here's, let me coach you. You got to build relationships with somebody who will, who will work with you this way. Number one, someone older and more, or more spiritually mature. That's, these are general guidelines. This doesn't happen every time, but something along these lines, someone who has spiritual maturity. Number two, someone who is of the same gender. It's very helpful to have someone who is of the same gender as you, someone who is not too interested Sometimes people will get together and talk about their sinfulness and give each other permission because they're dealing with it themselves. It'd be like tacit permission. Oh, I, know, I understand. Yeah, it's just so hard. Yeah, well, I hope you can do better. Here's, here's what happened to me. And then they just kind of keep giving each other. They don't, they don't really challenge one another. They, they, and, so, and some people are just, they gain their significance from hearing another person's sins. That, uh, I'm, I'm discipling them. I, that, I don't like any of that. People who are too interested in our, our sins, we, we don't need to create that. And then finally, someone who is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Someone who has a track record. Someone who has faithfulness. And you can see their faithfulness. And it's been demonstrated. And you, you think it's worth the risk. All right? So here, here, here it is. Number three. Number three idea that has to be part of a culture for spiritual growth is speaking the truth in love. Truth and love. Truth and love both, both have to be here. Ephesians 4, 15, one of the cornerstone scriptures of one chapel says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Notice that phrase right there. You can underline that phrase. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Many communities emphasize truth at the expense of love. It's like, don't you know it's the truth that will set you free? And I'm about to unload some truth right on you. <laughs> and we, and we, and we, and we kind of pulverize people with the truth. Truth at the expense of love, you know what it creates? It creates meanness. It creates legalism. Truth without love doesn't work for disciple making. Some other communities, they emphasize love. It's all about love. It's about the love, man. We just love each other. We love it. I know we have problems, but we love each other. Love at the expense of truth. An emphasis on love at the expense of truth creates weak and immature believers. Because they never, they never challenge each other with the truth. Listen, all the, all the struggle is in creating an atmosphere of love. All the struggle is in creating a culture where people believe you that they have their best interests at heart. 
That's hard to do. That means you got to make investments. That means you got you got to create relationship capital before you can actually go deep for the stuff that's way down in there. They got to believe that you're for them and not against them. All the work is in creating the atmosphere of love. And listen, here's the reason I believe truth and love is so profound in, re in regards to spiritual growth. Because there is no, no one who needs to suffer and be defined by their greatest weakness in our community. No one, none of you have to suffer from your greatest weakness because there's someone here we can all benefit from the strengths of others. God created the body of Christ. He created a community so that we would benefit from the strength that each of us have. That the weaknesses we have don't have to define us because somebody else has already been through what you've been through. And you just need to sit down with them and let them walk with you. And you can rely on their strength. Some, of, some people here have strengths that you'll never have and they're weaknesses in your life. And God puts you together with them so, so it'll even out in your life. It'll even out in the body of Christ. We'll all become what God wants us to be. The accountant and the artist is my favorite example. You know the guy who's kind of got an accountant brain, accountant's brain, and he, he, he does the numbers, he keeps his checkbook, he, he, he measures it against the bank statement every single week. That guy often doesn't know how to, how to pray or be creative or to see God in a, in a unique way. And the artist or the, the person who loves creativity, loves all God's creative energy that happens in the world and can tap into it and help others see it and help other, others be moved and inspired by what God is doing in their life, by their creativity. See, hey, if both those guys get together, guess what? They both start benefiting. See, the guy that was the artist, though, he can't balance his checkbook to save his life. The accountant doesn't know how to spend time in prayer and develop his own creativity in, in how his relationship works with God. But the artist sees God that way, and he can help the accountant see God that way. And the accountant can help the artist measure himself in a way that causes growth. Finally, patience. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Making disciples takes time. <laughs> if you want spiritual growth, you're going to have to have patience. <laughs> it's, it's going to take time for you to invest in someone else. It's going to take time for you to grow as a disciple. The most precious commodity of our culture, you know what it is? It's time. And some of you haven't been willing, some of you haven't been willing to give up enough time to be part of a community like this where you can grow spiritually. And listen, I understand life is full, life is busy, but we all have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours. You and I have to make fundamental decisions and prioritize how we're going to create a culture in our lives of spiritual growth. And that's what connect groups are all about. Look for the people that you have a real connection with and begin to grow. In just a minute, I'm going to dismiss you and you're going to go upstairs. I'm going to ask you to go upstairs to the lobby upstairs and I'm going to ask you to take that connect group guide with you. And I want you to look at that this week and I want you 
to aim for a group. Now, you may end up going to that group, and, and Jesus will say, you'll say to Jesus, I don't like these people. I don't, know, I don't know if I can go to this group. And Jesus will say, nope, you need to go here. These people need you, and you need to be at this group. And, and so you give them your life, okay? Some of you, Jesus may not say that, and you're like, I need to find a different group. <laughs> and that's okay. If you believe that spiritual growth takes a long time, we're just, then, then this isn't, this, this one semester can be invested in a group of people over time, and the next semester will be in, in, invested again. We have to make a commitment to invest in people no matter what. And we have to be a community that allows people to invest in us. And so I want to challenge you to find that. Everybody who has a shirt on that has CGL on it, Connect Group Leader, stand up right, right now. Stand up right now. These are all people who are leading Connect Groups. There's about 50 of them in the menu. And so a bunch of them are already upstairs. And I want to dismiss you to go right now. Connect Group Leaders, go right now. And you're going to go up there and you're going to wait for them. And some of them have cute little balloons that they've drawn on and, and, and put their name of their group on. If you look at, their, their, their balloons have the name of their group on it. So I want you to meet a bunch of people. All right, now give me your attention. Don't they look cute in their blue shirts and their balloons? It's so funny because some of them think it's awesome and other people are really mad that they had to wear that shirt. <laughs> Here's the point. It takes all kinds. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your head, and I want you to ask yourself the question, am I growing spiritually? Am I growing? Am I, am I in a culture? Some of you are scared to go to any of these groups because you're afraid of what's going to happen. Can I just encourage you? Jesus is so gentle. Some of you are fearful of what people might say. I, I, I want to I give you courage today and tell you that that group of people, they're committed to loving others. That's why they volunteered to be a leader. They're committed to loving others. They're not going to judge you. Not going to push you away. If you're here and you realize, I need to grow spiritually. I, I, I need to commit to a group of people that will challenge me and I'll, and I'll be able and willing to grow so that I can challenge and invest in others. I want you to answer that question and be willing to surrender. Some of you are so, oh, I'm just so busy. I don't know if I can fit it in. Jesus is convicting you today and he's saying, I want you to reprioritize your life. You're too, you're too consumed. You're too busy. You're, you're going 100 miles an hour in every direction. And I, I want to draw you to myself. Some of you are just here and you're thinking, I, I am really away from God. I, I just haven't. I'm here in church and I've come and I feel him calling me and reaching out to me. And I want to say yes to him today.
I want to say yes to what you're talking about, Pastor Ross. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But if Jesus is speaking to you and you're realizing, I need to make a commitment to him. I need to give my life to him in a new way today because I want what you're talking about. I want the kind of relationship that you're describing with Jesus and with community. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. But you say, Pastor, please pray for me. Just shoot your hand up in the air and say, yep, pray for me, Pastor. That's what I want. I need that. Yep, I see you over here. Who else? Way over here. Over here on the left. Who else? Who else is willing? Yep, I see you back there in the back. It's so good. Just lift up your hand in the air. Nobody's looking except Jesus and me. And I say yes to you, What you're, the decision you're making. It's such a good decision. Now, come on, everybody across the room, maybe just kind of hold your hands up like this in a posture of receiving. Like, just, just open up your palms to the, to the heavens and kind of a posture of surrendering. God, take our lives out of our hands. We, we're holding on too tight, some of us, and we need to give them back to you. And so, Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. We ask you to, to lead us. We ask you to guide us. We ask you to renew us, reshape us, remake us. Give us a new start today today to follow you and to follow your desires in our community. We love you and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.